0: Well, I think we're running, I think we're live, and that we are streaming, and so it is good to have everybody here who is is able to meet on. Uh, My name is Dan, and I'm going to host the show today. Uh, Thankfully, I have Justin and David here to help me out today, and I appreciate you guys jumping on. How are you doing?
1: Doing well, doing well. Thanks,
0: Dan. Good. Doing great. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, Thanks for the help. I appreciate this. Um, uh, as usual, you can uh, send questions to us uh, if you want to uh, through, the, uh, through the chat box here in the Zoom or if you've logged on to Facebook and you're finding this on uh, Scott Smeltzer's account, you can send your uh, comments there and we'll try to bring those in if you have any questions or if you have any comments as we uh, continue through the show. Today, what we're going to do is look at uh, the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. We're going to be reading the account that shows up in John chapter 6, if you want to open up your Bibles to that. Open up to John chapter 6. And uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, just to get us started, one of the things that I learned uh, just a number of years ago from a teacher that I really respected, one of the things that he brought out in the uh, way that John k- communicates and shares with us the story of Jesus. When, of course, one thing John says at the end of his gospel that, is that he wrote these things down so that people would be able to believe that they would have the material and the information and, and the stories about Jesus that would help feed and, and nourish faith or believing uh, in Jesus and believing that Jesus was a real person who could do these things. And when you look through the miracles that John records, he doesn't always record, and Jesus healed a whole bunch of people over there, and then he uh, healed a bunch of people over here, but rather he seems to slow down and describe uh, the miracles in detail, and he doesn't include as many miracles uh, so that he can do that. And I want to look at John 6's recording of feeding the 5,000 people and uh, try to find out who is Jesus, what is he like? Uh, what does he do when he's interacting with other people, whether it's the crowds or his own apostles? What does he want from others and what is he demanding out of people? So that we can figure out who Jesus is, but also looking specifically at the details that John gives us uh, as he's describing this miracle to see, uh, is this story believable? I mean, miracles, I, some people want to believe in miracles and some people don't want to believe in miracles, but uh, we could read through these accounts and try to determine uh, whether they seem believable stories or not, and that's what I'd like to do. Do you guys have any other any thoughts about that before we get going? Any any ideas in your in your mind?
1: Just one one thought. You you mentioned um, John's treatment of the miracles. I think um, uh, it, we've talked about this before in private conversations, but I, I think if you go to a restaurant. And you know, they've got like a menu full of, I don't know, 120 items, you're kind of like, well, there's, there's a lot of stuff to offer here and you feel sort of overwhelmed versus the restaurants you go to and they get like five or six specialty items and they do those things really well. And that's kind of the way John treats these miracles. You'll read Matthew and it's like, and the crowds came to him and healed all of them. You're like, wow. And you're just overwhelmed with the full impact of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but John seems to really want to uh, get us to milk everything out of each and every miracle so he only presents seven and it's not so much the miracle it's the discussion afterward that uh we're, we're meant to kind of chew on uh it's the miracle that kind of gets that discussion going when jesus says do you understand what this means and it's the meaning behind it that's so powerful mm-hmm.
0: yeah i will, we're only going to be looking at about 14 15 verses of a chapter that goes on to seventy-one verses long, uh, the the real the real weight uh, of, of behind this miracle is what happens the next day when Jesus is uh, talking to the crowds, and we're not going to take the time to look at that. Um, that's a different kind of discussion. Uh, I just wanted to focus on uh, the the way that John really slows down and and uh, kind of what you were saying, Justin, that the detail and how he was caring about it. Any thoughts from you, David? Before we start reading, I'm ready. All right. Why don't you read for us? Um, it's it's not a big story. Do you want to just read all 14 verses and we can kind of slowly talk about each
2: later after we're done? Sure. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he had, was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples now the passover the feast of the jews was near therefore jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him said to philip where are we to buy bread so that these may so that these may eat this this he was saying to test him for he himself knew what he was intending to do philip answered him 200 denarii Worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone, who re- for, for everyone to receive a little. Even one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad who, was, uh, who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed those who were seated. Likewise, also the fish as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled the 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which, uh, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, truly, this truly is uh, the prophet who was to come into the world. Okay. Thanks for the reading.
0: Uh, j- just as a side point, I think that this is kind of interesting. With that word prophet, does your translation capitalize the P? It does. Yeah. Yeah. I think most of the translations do, which, you know, that that's that's the translators trying to communicate to us um, uh, that, you know, that this is a big deal. This isn't just a prophet, but the prophet, the the way that the people are expressing it. You really get that sense. I think that that says a lot about the how impressive this miracle must have been uh, to the people.
1: Just a question about that. Uh, Yeah. I'm reminded back in chapter one the uh, priests and Levites um, came to John the Baptist and back in John 1, verse 21, they're asking, are you Elijah? He says, I'm not, are you the prophet? He says, no. Um, Was was there this clear idea in the Old Testament that there's this prophet coming and are there some specific Old Testament passages that you think of when you think of like, oh, well, that's obviously talking about the."
0: Prophet. I have one that comes to mind, though I honestly I feel bad. Luckily, I have my laptop in front of me, I can jump on the internet. (laughs) In Deuteronomy, when Moses is closing up shop and he's given his last summons, he said there's going to be a prophet. And in that discussion, Moses doesn't make it clear that it's going to be a capital P prophet. He talks about, I think, in a lot of ways, all the old testament prophets that were coming. But there's something about the way he says it that even reading it in the New Testament, you think, man, it sounds like he's talking about one guy. And it it really sounds like the people, even though they knew that there was a lot of prophets before Jesus, the people were looking for a one guy.
1: Yeah, that's helpful. And of course, later in Acts 3, now that I'm thinking of it, you know, Peter talks about this time of refreshing that would come and God spoke. Acts 3 verse 21, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets and said he would raise up for you a prophet like me. And so so they're looking for a prophet, but not just any prophet, they're looking for a prophet who's like Moses, who uh, led the people out of slavery, uh, who established a covenant, uh, who provided for them sort of in this desert wilderness situation, which here they are, and they're in a desert wilderness kind of situation in John 6. And so I mean, they're thinking, whoa, wait a minute, this feels a lot like Moses and Israel in the wilderness kind of thing. Here we are, he, he feeds us, uh, which ties into the conversation later. So, okay, yeah. thank you. That's, that's jogging my memory in helpful ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's Deuteronomy 18 where um, where Moses is talking about that prophet to come. But I think this is a good conversation. Uh, yes, it's John 14 that uh, that we're talking about, this, this use of the word prophet. Uh, somebody had a, a chat comment about that. I think that this is, this is kind of a significant thing to talk about because that's, I think, one of the points to what John is doing with these miracles is that he's trying to, I think he's trying to illustrate how, um, how, how much of a game changer they were for the people. If you believe Jesus, if you come to the Bible already believing in Jesus you read about this miracle and that miracle and this miracle and that miracle, and now we're in the fourth gospel. How many times has Jesus done miracles if we're just reading through the New Testament? At this point, man, miracles are boring. <laughs> it, it can be, possibly. And John is helping us to see how they affected the, I think, how they affected the people. All right, well that that's that's a neat way of looking at the effect Jesus he does he performs this one miracle and has a pretty tremendous effect uh enough so and we're not going to get into it in our class today but they come up the next day looking for more food kind of the same way they uh, hope that Moses would keep giving them food but what are some of the details in this account in this storytelling that John includes that helps uh make the make the story a believable story I believe that miracles are true but I have a lot of friends out there who don't. I think I could read through the story and say, well, here's a detail and here's another detail that might be helpful for them. What, what jumps out at you that
2: way? Like one thing that jumps out to me is just the lack of belief of the apostles. Here is Philip and he's saying, there's no way. Even if we had a whole bunch of money, we, we couldn't even spread it out to all these different people. Uh, that, that's, that's one thing that comes to me.
0: I think that that's a really strong part because um, uh, th- they've seen what Jesus can do, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. it would kind of make the disciples look a little, um, I don't know, less, um, maybe not silly or foolish, but just th- they're, they're trying to write these uh, gospel accounts that people believe, and here they are struggling to believe, so it, it makes them look not so great. Any—any um, Anytime you tell a story and it's got a detail in it that makes you not look so great. It kind of adds to the truthfulness, like why would you tell that story unless it is true? Um, something that stood out to me here this time, and I guess I, I hadn't thought about it before, and I have a question about it, actually verse four, he mentions the Passover was at hand. I'm uh, Not really sure why that might be significant, but it, one thing it, it does at least is it gives us kind of a time stamp. Later he's gonna mention there was grass in the area. Uh, I think only certain times of the year there'd be grass. That's so just one of those little details that, you know, a certain amount of details gives you a, a ring of truth to the story you're telling. So so this story is, is just loaded with details. You've got grass, mm-hmm. Passover's at hand,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: five, not just loaves, but barley loaves,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, and a certain number of fragments, you know, the, the baskets that are that are pulled up. So why include those details unless that's just the way that it happened.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I think that those are really helpful. I, You you asked that question about the Passover specifically. Me too, that jumped out at me. I was like, well, there's a detail. I wonder what that does to the story. Um, and it might simply be that it's just helping the story have a setting, have a place. Um, it doesn't say once upon a time, a man went into a magical wood and performed a magic trick. It's, it's giving us a real place
2: in real time. Yeah, David? I wonder if it also explains something about the reason why there's five thousand people hanging out around yeah, Galilee uh, who have nothing to do. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I mean it's it's hard for me to know, you know, uh, should we be questioning why there's the, so many people can be there and then this and the Passover is is part of the reason? I, I was wondering that myself. So that, that's neat. And And so what we have here are a lot of details. even if we don't nail down specifically what each one does, It's putting us into this story um, so that it's something that we can relate with and even have questions about that, that they sound like questions that if we did enough, you know, research onto the history and the times, we could probably come up with an answer to it. So it's not just um, make-believe that that we're getting into. What else? What else jumps out at you? I I like looking for different details. So I have a few in my mind.
1: The idea that when they sat down to eat, uh, it, it specifically says they ate until they were full, um, which is just from being incredible. You've got 5,000 families represented here. Uh, you know, it's not just that everybody gets a little bit, right. it's, it's an all-you-can-eat barley fish sandwich yep. buffet kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it just it, it says it so plainly. Um, it doesn't seem to draw a lot of attention, but it's just a very plain fact that
0: everyone ate uh, as much as they wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and there's two statements to that. There's the first one in verse 11, um, as much as they wanted, and then in the next verse, when they had eaten their fill. Now, that, those are kind of two distinctions, and those distinctions make sense if you've ever been a kid and had a mom. You've had enough. Don't eat any more. Be polite. Don't take more of those. You've had enough. And then there's a statement: No, I've actually eaten to my fill. Yeah, those are t- those are two different ideas. And if it's Jesus is just being nice, just take a bite. There's not enough to go around, is is uh is thrown out by that next statement. They all ate to their fill. And I don't know if the people um, in Galilee were like the people I've met at um you know all you can eat buffets in the country that I live in. But when it says all you can eat, we usually take that as a challenge and we try to win. You know, it's like it's a competition between us and the restaurant to see who's going to win. And I actually know a guy who, who won was asked to bring friends the next time. But uh, here there's a bunch of people who can they can eat as much as they want to eat. And that's a big deal. That's a that's a lot of food when Philip um, is doubting or questioning, you know, I don't know if he doubts the power of Jesus. I think the point is, is that Jesus um, said, where are we going to get food, buy food for these guys? And Philip says, what are you talking about? Uh, He says the 200 denarii worth, a denarius is described as a day's wage. So 200 days of a year, it's like two thirds of a working man's wages for a year is not enough. And I like I like the way that you can calculate that concept to um, to any year and any economy, right? Whatever two thirds of a two hundred days, whatever two hundred days worth of work means to you individually, that's the amount of money that you should have in mind. And that that wasn't going to be enough for everyone, to, as Philip says, to get a little. And Jesus doesn't give them a little; he gives them a lot. And, and so those two details are working together i think that's neat
2: yeah david we also have just details about the food that they did have I mean, if if um just a very detailed account of the what five loaves two fish very specific and then you pick up all the uh the uh the leftovers later on you have these 12 baskets full so it's a very specific numbers uh mm-hmm. that, that also gives something about uh, tells us about the belie- believability of the story Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Does it uh, does it give us information about the kind of people who are gathered together? And if they're barley loaves, uh, I mean, wheat would have been more it's a more substantial crop. Um, it's better, I think, a better grain. And barley indicates these are poor people. I don't know if there's anything there. There,
0: there could be something to that. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's the this is the one person that they got it from. Um, I want to get into the question about what if they all brought a sack lunch and they're just using this one boy, um, but but the key is is that that is not a fancy. Uh, it's not as um, like you said. It's it's a lower quality uh, grain, so it could speak to who the people were. I also don't know enough about that um, to know for sure. It could speak to the time of year, even although the grain can, you know, that can last quite a while. It does say in Matthew's account, which is uh, Matthew chapter 14, um, at the end of the miracle, I think it's at the end of the miracle, yeah, Matthew 14, 21, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children usually when the Bible says 5,000 men, the the idea there is 5,000 people. That's just, you know, that's the way that the word was used in the Greek language. But Matthew is making it very clear that the 5,000 men is the numbering of the men besides women and children. And so we have five. So there's a few details in that instance that I think add to its credibility. You have 5,000 witnesses and according to Matthew, you have more than 5,000 witnesses. And I don't know how many women and how many children could have come. Um, you know, when I go to a church building, there is almost always more women than men. And I don't know if that would be the situation here. But, uh, and then there's, there's, if there's a bunch of kids, then there's a bunch of kids. You can get... Question: How reliable a child is to to know what's going on? But you better believe they'll remember food. And in that day, women were considered in that society an unreliable um, uh, uh, source for for, for for as a as a witness. So it could be that that's why there were 5,000 credible witnesses, and Matthew was saying, besides the women and children. Now, that's a societal concept that this culture was saying. That's not something I believe. I think women and even children could be credible witnesses. I'm just saying that that could be why it was written in that way. So there could be 10,000 mouths that are engaged in this miracle. And that's, that's kind of neat to think about. Um, you start thinking about all the senses that are involved in this miracle. You didn't just see it happen up on a stage. You know, it's not just some farce. But um, your mouth tasted it. Your hands touched it. Uh, you probably smelled it. You, well, you probably smelled the fish. Uh, but if it was fresh bread, you could smell the bread. You could see it. I don't know if you could hear any of these things. Maybe if you tore the bread loudly, you could hear it. But but all of a person's senses were involved in this miracle. Um, If you see somebody um, get healed, and maybe you hear the person who was mute speak, you can see and you can hear, but you're not not engaging all of your whole body into the miracle the way this story is saying. 5,000 witnesses fully took part in this miracle, and they they literally carried it in their belly home with them that, that that's kind of a neat
2: neat idea dan you had mentioned uh uh not being able to hear well definitely can't hear a fish and hear uh the uh the bread being torn uh, but thinking about the conversation that's going on at the at a meal um probably some something like a you know an elementary school cafeteria where where all i, I uh, watched, uh I don't remember if it was the gospel of Matthew or the gospel of John, but, but there was one clip where that, that was uh, caused me to think more about uh, the noise that would be be involved in this miracle, how everybody is eating and conversing and talking about this miracle. And it has to have just a great impact, not only with everybody just looking at Jesus, but everybody's looking at each other and talking about this. And that, so it has to be uh, something that is a, uh, a, a marking point in their lives
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Th- that's a really neat that's
0: a neat detail I hadn't thought about how, how yeah that n- lunch is noisy <laughs> and, and and but not just that but the way you're saying that people were engaged together um, not just I am engaged with Jesus in the miracle but I'm engaged with you know my my wife and my children and talking about it. that's a that's a neat community aspect I hadn't thought of that, that's really compelling.
1: I think the idea of community here is maybe not a detail so much as it just thinking through what's happening. Um, I mean we, we enjoy uh, sharing and hospitality and having people over and there are moments where kind of in between like the meal and dessert and coffee if you do coffee you usually try to make coffee for people who come over and there's just conversation happening at the table and you kind of stand in the doorway and look in and People who maybe didn't know each other, they've come together at the table and they're just enjoying each other and you're seeing people enjoying the food, enjoying the company, and there's just a lot of good happening. And you're thinking, this is, this is happening in our house. And there's sort of a satisfying feeling. Well, Jesus is presiding over this meal. And I don't know that all these thousands of people knew each other, but suddenly they have this, this common gathering and Jesus is the one who's brought them together, who's sustaining them. Uh, And all of his miracles, um, kind of a side point, maybe back on a tangent, all of his miracles are good for people.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Like in in, in me, this is a very impressive miracle, mind you, but there's certainly other things he could have done that might've gathered people's attention better. I mean, he could have done something just really grand and really spectacular, kind of in line with the Las Vegas illusionists today but he doesn't do that uh he just feeds people and it's good for people it blesses people and so maybe it's not just the miracle or the power of the miracle but the nature of the miracle where he's he's providing for this community uh that gives thanks to god yeah uh he does that before he gives them the bread Mm -hmm. and sends them away full Uh, they came with nothing and they leave Having been fed by Jesus, yeah. just a very powerful picture of what He does for people.
0: Yeah, the, the, two, two thoughts. One is a quick one. Isaiah fifty-five, which which I looked at in a re, for a lesson recently. Isaiah fifty-five. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? That's a really just moving moment when when God is inviting His people, come to me, I'm going to give you what you need, and it's going to be satisfying. and And then there's that curious curious change of when the people come the next day and they come for food, uh, it's clear that they're coming not for the food that will satisfy, but rather they're coming for just bread. and And Jesus calls them on that. So I think that that's that's really interesting. And, and you mentioned, uh, the, the the difference between this and, and a big Las Vegas show show-stopping miracle, uh, you know, making the, the Statue of Liberty disappear, making making a building or making a a, a car disappear, some some big flashy um, uh, um, d- display of power like that. One. Uh, if we're trying to think about if I was going to do this as a trick, if I was going to uh, not to be ugly as a trick, but to impress people and to bring out all this food, what would I do? Um, and that's a way of evaluating, uh, you know, could could it be? And this is a, this is an important question we have to ask ourselves: Could it be that Jesus was tricking everybody that he didn't perform a miracle, but he did a trick to get everyone impressed? And uh, we need to we need to take the time to ask that kind of a question. A few of the details lend itself that that this one wouldn't work very easily. Number one, with the 5,000 witnesses or over 5,000, so that's 10,000 eyeballs, um, unless somebody was blind in an eye, right? That's a lot of people that are watching this happening and they're not watching it from a distance. Um, eventually the miracle gets into their mouth so they're engaged in it that way. It's not that they went home and said, whoa, honey, it was amazing at the end of the hall, this guy started handing out bread to four or five people. No, the bread made it all the way to the back of the room. They're not in a room, but it made it all the way to every single person. Uh, it talks about how it's a grassy mountain or hill. Um, if Jesus had a cartload of bread you know, hidden somewhere, uh, it doesn't sound like a place where he could have had it hidden. Um, it doesn't sound like between the 5,000 noses and the 10,000 eyeballs that he could have kept it secret from everyone seeing it. Uh, I'm I'm just trying to figure out what, what would a person have to do to make it a trick? And so then you also have 5,000 people. So let's say Jesus just did a magic trick. He didn't do a miracle. If he just did a magic trick, you have 5,000 or more people who had the chance to see that it wasn't a miracle. And then John writes this story down and says it's a miracle. So does Matthew, so does Mark, and so does Luke. So you have 5,000 people who could have said, yeah, I was there that day, and he totally gave us food, and it was a really good sermon, and it was a really good meal, but it wasn't a miracle. There's a lot of opportunity if the apostles were lying. There's a lot of opportunity for people to say, yeah, I was there, and that it didn't happen that way. Uh, That's not the way that it looked. That's not the way that it sounded. That's not the way that it tasted, if if it was not true. I think that that's an important thing to think about, is that there's a lot of people that could have overturned this story in the Bible. It's in all all five, all four of the Gospels. It's in all four of the Gospels, and I I think that that's that's a compelling thing. So then you also have 5,000 people on the other side who can say, I was there. I ate it. Jesus is real. You have a bunch of kids who could say, I was there. I didn't pay attention to what was going on, but I ate it and I was real. And then you think 50, 60, 70 years later, my dad was there that day. I've never seen Jesus, but my dad saw it happen. My dad ate the food. And you can just imagine how powerful those little stories would have been um, as the church was beginning. And, And it would just add weight to um the the when they're passing around the gospels at first you know that when the christians are first getting these and there would be people yeah i was there my cousin i wasn't there my cousin was there he saw it or or i met somebody who was there and here's another detail that might not have been recorded so there's just a lot to the fact that there's so many people who could have overturned it but instead upheld it um that makes it a pretty credible story
1: one one thought too that um we didn't read verse 15, it kind of gets into the next section. Uh, there's sort of this interlude where Jesus does a miracle that's not necessarily one of the seven signs that John records for us, but it's certainly mm-hmm. miraculous. He's walking on water. But verse 15, uh, the ESV says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Uh, I mean, most. Most people who attempt things like this, whether they're religious leaders or political figures or magicians in a trade of entertainment, they're looking to get a following. Yeah. Um, Jesus sees what's happening here and why it's happening, uh, what's motivating these people to come after him like this and he avoids it, he rejects it. Uh, even later in John six where um he, he intentionally makes it difficult for people to, um, uh, to want to follow him. And it's not because he doesn't want people to follow him, but he's starting to explain, uh, if you don't accept me, if you don't demand me, if you don't see me as your only source of life, if you don't find in me all of your sustenance and nothing besides me, um, this sort of this exclusive all or nothing kind of thing. I mean, he, Jesus was smart enough to know that's gonna exclude a lot of people uh but he's willing to push those people away uh for the sake of holding on to just a few devoted disciples it, it just it it flies in the face of trying to uh, pull the rug over people's eyes
0: yeah. yeah i agree hey david let me there's a, a comment that i i forgot to mention a little bit ago and, um, and i'll get to you uh john sullivan mentioned on facebook that uh, because we had made a comment about the different numbers, and I wanted to talk about that at some point. He said, the number 12, because of the 12 baskets, always makes me wonder if it was some sort of look to the future, when the 12 apostles would be the conduits for the spiritual food, uh, that they would be bringing that out. And I think that there's a there's a neat connection there. Um, it, it, the dumb answer is there was 12 apostles, so they each had a basket, but it probably speaks to more than just um, twelve guys walking around with twelve baskets, but but showing how they would carry the torch or carry on the mantle after Jesus. I think that's a neat idea. Yeah, David.
2: I was just thinking about it, the, the the reaction of the crowds is one thing that that that's pretty amazing. But the reaction of the the apostles as well uh, is is something to to talk about. Uh, that they are uh, number one. They don't see this coming. Uh, they, there is no plan. If you're gonna pull this type of stunt, this this great. You know, stunt. There has to be some type of preparation, you know. Yeah. But Jesus has just shown up, and hey, what do we have? Hey, there's a <laughs> there's a boy over here that has something here, and so there's no there's no preparation for some grand event that he's. And then later on, um, they they realize while the other people have gone, they are ones who see see the great power that Jesus has just revealed, and so it's it's a um, looking at the reaction of the disciples. That's part of. Oh, part of the, the the Gospel of John is to look at the people, and then also to look at the disciples and see their different reactions.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That that's that's really neat. Um, that they, they are they are. Uh, let's see. The the people have um, big and quick reactions, and the apostles are a little bit slower. Um, uh, and uh, but but I think because of that, maybe their reactions are more sincere or long lasting. It he, cool. he really leaves
1: them in the dark on this. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's an odd, um, it's, a, it's a complexity of Jesus' character at work here where he is compassionate on the crowd and he's testing his disciples. Yeah. He's revealing his power, pushing people away. Um, he's, he's not just a standard drop-in character that somebody fictionalized and said, wouldn't this be neat if there were such a guy like this? Uh, he just defies the box that we would make for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is all powerful. He's creating something out of nothing, essentially, which mm-hmm. says there's some kind of divine work here. He's fulfilling prophecy, and yet he is uh, seemingly hesitant to to pick up on the popularity that he's achieving. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, he he doesn't fit your standard uh, character types that mm-hmm. novelists would would uh, want to write about.
0: Yeah. And, and yet, um, you mentioned the opposites, and I think that that's really compelling. Um, he's compassionate with the people, and then he tests his apostles. That almost sounds like too, Like one is really nice, and one could be ugly, or at least it's pretty demanding on the apostles. Or he um, does this great thing to show his power, and then he hides away from the power. Uh, all of those reactions are very human. They are very... Um, real reactions that we can see in people today, but we usually don't see those both opposites happening in one person. We don't see the uh, compassion and the testing. Usually we'll see someone who's just so compassionate. Um, usually people tend towards one extreme or the other is what I'm trying to say. And so that's what makes Jesus complex and fully human, but also it's he's not some sort of weird cartoon character that doesn't sound realistic. Every Every one of the behaviors um, do sound um, uh, uh, believable. Um, this is just trying to think of some other details in this. This is a really small detail, uh, but bringing up the concept of the numbers, um, the, the twelve baskets. It could be. Um, uh, like what John Sullivan said, it, it could be pointing towards, you know, what's going to come, there's going to be 12 guys going out there. I tend to lean to, to the fact that there were 12 apostles and they each had a, a basket to carry it around in. Um, but otherwise, all the other numbers are have no real spiritual significance. And I think that that is a credible part to this story. When you read through the book of Revelation, almost every number has a, a meaning behind it. it, has some sort of neat idea that it is trying to communicate. And the fact that they are telling the story, the kid brought this amount of bread and this amount of food, those numbers don't mean anything It other than this much bread and this much food. Uh, and if it was a, a fictional story, if it was um, uh, I think that people would probably write oh he had seven loaves and seven fishes you know to make it like a perfect number Now that's that's not necessarily always going to be true but that was something that I thought was was interesting was that it's kind of mundane it's kind of normal yeah Justin
1: uh, I think John does that a little bit later as well in uh, chapter 21 when uh, Peter and some of the disciples have gone out to go fishing and there's somebody on the shore uh he's you know, telling them to cast net on the other side harkens back to this previous encounter jesus had with the disciples before his resurrection and when they haul up the net in john 21 verse 11 it says that there were 153 fish and i, I think commentators have tried for a long time to make something super spiritually significant out of that uh it i i think there were 153 because there were 153 fish that were in the wow. net. Uh, so it's just it's just one of those little details and you're like, well, why 153? Watch just how many there were, you know? You want me to say 154? Because there are only 153. Uh, so those details do ring true to testimony. Um, I mean, if you were there and you pulled up the net and you were there to count them, but I remember, I remember that day, there were 153 fish. Yeah. Um, now I'm gonna backtrack a little bit on this because I do think there's probably something significant to the 12 baskets just because this is, I think this is the only um, only miracle that's recorded in all four of the gospels. And each of the four do take the uh, the time to tell us that there are 12 baskets yeah. left over. Yeah. And it just, it seems too uh, too fitting to be sort of a, a coincidental detail that rings of true eyewitness testimony. Uh, It seems to fit with some kind of message. Uh, In fact, you know, Jesus is talking to his disciples. We need to feed these people. How do we do it? He's trying to get them involved in this miracle because it's not just the miracle; it's the nature of Jesus's work with people. And it's not physical food. Um, John six is going to make sure it spell that out for us. It's it's Jesus we need, and so how do we get to Jesus? We have to go through the apostles. Um, I I I wouldn't try to go to John six only to prove that point, but it seems to at least be supported by other truths we'll see elsewhere in scripture
0: it could yeah it could um let's see what else do i want to look at all right one last detail in the miracle that i think is helpful to think about is um not not necessarily on the number of the leftovers but the concept of the leftovers i think this is fun that uh when they get done and they fill the 12 baskets full of leftover fragments um that 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 isn't Jesus commanding us to have Tupperware and a refrigerator full of lef- leftovers? Though I do think that every mom in the world loves this part of the story, trying to get all their children and husbands to eat leftovers. I think the point here is, it's like the exclamation mark on the miracle. Um, uh, the the lame man doesn't simply get up and walk, he dances uh, to, to, to make it loud, just how powerful Jesus's power is. And in this one, it's not just that everyone had a bite, but everyone ate till their fill, and then there were leftovers. And we need to be careful to not say, oh, the
2: baskets back then were five
0: feet tall. You know, we don't have to uh, make Uh, We don't have to try to make the miracle more impressive. The fact that 12 baskets were filled, I think by 12 guys walking around, shows that after everyone ate all their food, there was still too much miracle left over. Uh, One argument that I've thought of, one critique that somebody could do is to say, well, what if this was just a potluck? that looked like a miracle what if it was there's that great story stone soup the soldiers come to the city and they're going to make Mm -hmm. stone soup and and they oh wow this soup would be great if we could have some carrots and somebody runs and gets a carrot and if we had everyone from town starts adding stuff to the stone soup and really what they trick the townsfolk into making a big soup soup that everyone shares well at the end of that story it's a great story at the end of the story, they don't have 12 leftover pots of soup to, uh, to, 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 you know, because it's not about a miracle. The story of stone soup isn't about a miracle, it's about tricking people into sharing. And in this, the point is not that Jesus tricked 5,000 people to share a sack lunch, but the fact that there was 12 sacks or 12 baskets full of leftovers shows that how could everybody bring enough. To satisfy everybody, and then even more so, I, I think it's a powerful detail to emphasize that that this was a miracle. This was not just um, this was not just accidental. And later on, people said, "Oh, it was a miracle." Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a detail that that throws that argument out. Uh, I've, yeah, but, I've heard it think- said. That-
2: Go ahead go ahead, just'm sorry <laughs> well, I've heard it said that that uh, the miracle that jesus did was was in the hearts of the people to get them to share uh that that's the miracle of this story so, what <laughs> right that's not uh, that I don't think that that's something that the disciples would record and uh share this information about that uh, uh, that uh really is looking for naturalistic explanations to these great events,
0: yeah. We learn that sharing is good, but that's not what the story is emphasizing, um, you
1: know. Well, and it, the, the kind of people that would say something like this, I imagine would be I mean, you, people who wouldn't deny the miracle here, I think would fall into two camps. Either you've got someone who believes in God, but has trouble accepting the miracles, um, kind of like a Thomas Jefferson style figure in you know, the Jeffersonian Bible, he Razored out doubt, all the miracles of Jesus uh, or the person who disbelieves in God and therefore there can't be miracles. Mm-hmm. Well, with, with that second person, you sort of have this uh, prior statement where you're saying um, because there's no God, there are no miracles. We, you're already dismissing a whole host of information. That's not an honest evaluation uh, of, of the evidence. You've got you to deal with the testimony here. So mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? Um, But the first people, if there is a God uh, and he did make everything, then what's so difficult about him renewing everything? If he can create the universe out of nothing, then what's to keep him from taking five fish sandwiches and feeding 5,000 plus people? So I don't see the need for us to try to dismiss these things. The more important question is not whether these things happened or not, but what does it mean? Uh, what, What does it signify? Um, that That seems to me to be what Jesus is really getting at here is he's he's not just doing the miracle because he wants to help people. In fact, um, I found it interesting when you're talking to people about miracles in John five, um, Jesus walks in John five verse three, he walks into a place where there's a multitude of sick people, and he heals one. You know Jesus is not just about the business of helping people in in whatever predicament we're in. He's trying to get us to see him more clearly. And therefore, the miracle is sort of this thing that gets us to question, and which is what we're doing today. Is we're just asking these questions. It gets people to think. And Jesus is saying, why don't you think through this with me? I don't you think about me? Why don't you come to me and see me? And once you see me, then everything else just kind of settles into place. So you don't have all the answers you might want, but you have the one answer you need, which is you know me.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that that's helpful. And that's why I like this story so much. Um, it doesn't talk about a miracle as if somebody waved a magic wand. It doesn't say that the sky turned dark and that the sea boiled and all of the things that we like to see in a magic show uh, or in a, in a movie. It just says Jesus took the food and started handing it out, and 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 does it in such a simple, uh, uh, in a simple description without a lot of drama it's just begging us to say, this is believable. This is a believable story, whether you want to believe it or not. And everyone needs to make their own decision, but it is, it's a believable story. One thing I want to close with that I think is, is fun to think about is that one other idea that all four accounts include Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all say that Jesus prayed and blessed the food before he handed it out. And, uh, it's, it's, this tiny little moment and I don't want to say the miracle wouldn't work if you didn't do the prayer that's not the point but uh, so many people have the tradition of praying for their breakfast and praying for their lunch and praying for their their all their meals uh and it just makes me wonder if this is if, if this is where that tradition that we so many people all over the world have comes from Jesus blessing this food for the people that were there and it just makes me, whenever I read the story, makes me want to to be mindful of of that prayer and and the prayer that I do lift up to God. Oh, well, that's kind of, of the. Oh, Go sorry. ahead, Justin.
1: Uh, just, just one thought on that, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's something that I, I don't think is the uh, the main point of the miracle, um, but the the young boy who brings his his food. Um, and I think in too many too many children's classes, I've, I've seen where the point of the story is, now be like a little boy and share your food, and we miss Jesus. Um, but if we do connect the little boy to the main point of the story, which is that Jesus is our bread. You know, he, he sustains us. He gives us life. Later in John six, he's gonna say that, that flesh is no help at all. You, you need the spirit. Um, jesus can take our insufficiency he can take where i'm lacking and and make me more than sufficient um hence the leftovers and i think that that connects so with with gratitude uh being thankful to god for the gifts he gives us just as jesus is thanking god for these things jesus doesn't look at us and say you're kidding me this is what i have to work with here um because he he trusts in the God and we trust in the God who can make something out of nothing, then he can use us and do uh, his great work and we can be thankful for
0: that. Amen. Amen, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, anything else, guys? It's about all our time for today. All righty, well, we'll close with that. And uh, I, I don't know exactly what we're gonna be picking up with next week. Uh, Jonathan and Scott should be back. It sure was great to have you on today, David. Thanks for helping us out. It's usually easier when there's more than just the two of us. So I appreciate that. Um, if anyone wants to reach out, uh, we, we are so happy to, to get questions or I uh, study ideas from you all. You can uh, put a comment on uh, Scott Smelser's Facebook page, or you can find us at BibleQuest.org and put your questions on there. Uh, But if there's nothing else, I will see you guys later. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. Thanks, Justin. Take care.